Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Nina Teicholt. She is an investigative journalist and author of the international and New York Times bestseller, The Big Fat Surprise. Nina, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So what inspired you to write this book? Well, um, I actually did not think I would write a book on uh, dietary fat in the last 50 years of nutrition policy. Um, I sort of backed into it, which is that I was assigned, I was just doing a series of investigative food articles for Gourmet Magazine, and I was assigned a a story on trans fats. And this is in the early 2000s. Who knew about trans fats? And um, that kind of introduced me to this whole world of dietary fat, you know, which is what uh, we obsessive have obsessed about the most in America, you know, good fat, bad fat, how much fat, low fat, non-fat. So, and I realized there was this huge untold story about how we had really gotten it totally wrong on on fats. Um, and that, uh, and, and initially I had a book contract to write about trans fats, um, and that just became this, this what well, became really a nine-year journey of research and, and reading tens of thousands of scientific papers to understand the story about all fats. So, and it's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what, I mean, I know reading your book, I, I think most people are aware of um, avoiding fats and that that can cause heart disease. So where did that um, thought come from? Where did we start to become obsessed with heart disease and, and fats? Well, it really started in the 1950s, which is um, when the nation um, was in a kind of panic over the rising tide of heart disease. You know, heart disease had been rare to non-existent in the early 1900s and had quickly risen to become the nation's number one cause of death. And this uh, 1955, President Eisenhower himself has a heart attack, is out of the Oval Office for for 10 days. I mean, just imagine that. Your president uh, is felled with a heart attack and, and not and not functioning. So... So really, there was just a sense of tremendous public health emergency. And there were a number of theories about what caused heart disease. You know, people thought maybe it was stress, the type A personality. Maybe it was auto exhaust, you know, more and more cars on the street. Maybe it was vitamin deficiency. But there was one theory that was promoted by a scientist named Ansel Keys from the University of Minnesota, who is a pathologist. And he said that it was saturated fats and dietary cholesterol that caused heart attacks. The, the fat and cholesterol would clog your arteries like, like uh, oil in a cold stovepipe and, um, and cause a heart attack. Um, and it's really an incredible story because he was, you know, he just stepped into this vacuum of understanding and he had this truly outsized personality. He was um, very aggressive, um, 
completely persuaded by his own ideas and, and very persuasive and convincing. So he was able to persuade his colleagues that he was right. His hypothesis was the one that um, then became ascendant. Um, and he was able to get that hypothesis implanted into the American Heart Association so that in 1961, the American Heart Association becomes the first group anywhere in the world with an official recommendation saying, avoid saturated fat and cholesterol in order to prevent heart disease. And that's really where it all started. So um, our, our, our conventional idea about fat is um, the low fat. And... Um, you know, what What sort of transpired over time as we started to um, see this as, as the big issue? Well, when Ansel Keys made this recommendation about saturated fat and cholesterol, um, that he was on the cover of Time magazine in 1961 when that came out as an American Heart Association recommendation. So this was really big news. Um, again, because heart disease was such a big public health emergency. And, it, and so this is, his ideas were big news, and, and, and people, Americans became obsessed about cutting back not just on saturated fat, which was Ansel Keys' recommendation, but eventually cutting back on all fats. Um, and this was, you know, prominent in the newspapers and magazines, um, again, you know, because prominent people like the president were, were suffering heart attacks. So it was very much, in the same way that nutrition news is, is all around us today, it was then too, but the messages were avoid saturated fat and cholesterol instead of saturated fats that you find in meat and dairy, cut back on those foods and instead have unsaturated vegetable oils instead of butter, have margarine instead of animal, you know, instead of meat and dairy, have more grains um, and all of those messages were really prominent um, and Americans have responded to them. If you look at the data in consumption Americans since the early 70s have completely complied <laughs> In every food category with all of that advice. So um, since we've been doing this since the 1960s, have we um, in North America been able to reduce our rate of heart disease? Um, heart disease rates have come down since the 1970s. Um, and the reason, um, the reason that... M it, that, that is, um, most people ascribe that to is that the dramatic reduction in smoking rates. So um, mm. there, um, Americans really stop smoking, and that is what most researchers understand as the reason why heart disease rates have come down. There's also the issue that we have much better early detection and treatment. You know, we have um, we have all kinds of medical interventions to deal with heart disease. Um, it's not clear that the underlying rate of heart disease has gone down, but that actually, you know, the treatment has gotten better. So um, uh, it's also possible Americans have successfully reduced their serum cholesterol uh, over the last 30, 40 years, and that may also be a reason, but most researchers do not credit that with the, with, with the, the principal reason for reducing heart disease. So um, in, in your book, heart, we don't really know what causes heart disease. Um, still, yeah, because in your book you you reference um, a lot of studies um, of people, you know, eating a certain diets, low fat or or not. Um, what is the outcome of those studies? Well, 
So it's interesting. There are studies on the low-fat diet. That actually, the largest ever nutrition study in the history of nutrition studies was something called the Women's Health Initiative, where funded by National Institutes of Health, it went on for um, over seven years on nearly fifty thousand women. And they found that, and they just the, the intervention was giving them the dietary guidelines and telling them to follow it. And and these women successfully changed their diets um, according to the data from the study. And they, at the end of those seven years, um, they saw no reduction in rates of heart disease, no reduction in any kind of cancer uh, or obesity or diabetes. So that trial really demonstrated that reducing fat and cholesterol was completely ineffective for fighting those diseases. Um, there's also some interesting studies on the other side, um, uh, which is looking at people eating very high-fat diets, like there's a famous um, set of studies that were done on um, the Maasai warriors in Kenya by a scientist at the University of Vanderbilt who went over and studied them in the late 70s. Their diet was like 70 to 80 percent fat. They ate only the men, the warrior class, ate only meat and milk and blood. That was their entire diet. No fruits and vegetables, total failing grade by any any nutritionist standards. But he um, found that they had low blood pressure, low cholesterol, did not rise with age, and he took electrocardiograms of um, 600 of them and could not find uh, almost any trace of, of anyone having had a heart attack. So so that's some contrary contradictory evidence that, you know, really is not explained by the model of saturated fat and cholesterol causing heart disease. Well, that goes completely against everything we've all grown up with and, and yeah. um, believed until the last few years when, when you know, all of a sudden we're able to eat eggs again. Um, and, and uh, I, you know, I think there are still some people who, um, you know, aren't reading books like yours and, and articles are coming out. And I had, you know, a patient in the other day whose doctor believed that all fats were bad no matter what. And uh, right. that they, you know, they shouldn't be consuming anything whatsoever. And, um, you know, it, it, as we get through this interview, too, people will see how, you know, terrifying that is, especially when you're talking about, you know, studying groups of people that all they eat is fat and yet they have no heart disease. So there has to be some sort of disconnect in, in what we've done as well by being low fat for so long. Yeah, I mean, the reality is the story of nutrition science over the last 50 years is the science really being ignored, right? So those studies by the Maasai warrior, on the Maasai warriors, I could tell you 10 other studies that were showing where the people uh, actually being healthier um, on diets that were higher in fat um, that were rigorous studies. Um, and, and I'm talking, this is throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, and all those studies were just, I mean, really the story is that those studies were ignored, not cited, not included in, in systematic reviews of the literature, not considered by the Dietary Guidelines Committee when they're making their, you know, when they're making government policy on diet. So they just were kind of ignored because Ansel Keys, again, going back to him and his colleagues, they they so firmly believed in what they, their theory, and they really dominated, you know, at the National Institute of Health and American Heart Association, all the kind of the major um, influential groups adopted Ansel Keys' hypothesis. So any science to the contrary was really just ignored. Um, 
they, I mean, literally, you know, in my book, I tell stories about, you know, coming out with results, NIH studies that are literally, that were literally, like, buried in the basement at NIH and never published. Or another study, the biggest ever test of Ansel Keys' hypothesis, which could not find any evidence that reducing saturated fat and cholesterol improved uh, your 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 cardiovascular risk. In fact, the more the men lower their cholesterol, the higher their risk of cardiovascular death. And that study wasn't published for 16 years and really wasn't even rediscovered until a couple of years ago when somebody unearthed all the data again. So it's a bizarre story of, of, of science just being ignored. Um, and now, you know, the doctors who are kind of pushing this really, really low, low, low fat diets, I mean, the reality is there's just no science to support that as being healthy. In the few studies that were done where they dramatically lower fat to, you know, let's say less than 25%, which is considered quite low, um, what they see is consistently in those studies is that it causes your HDL, which is your good cholesterol, to drop, and your triglycerides, which are a measure of the uh, fatty acids in your blood, um, those to go up. And both of those are strong indicators of worsening cardiovascular risk. So, you know, the low, low fat diet is, is I know it's, you know, still popular in places, but it's just not supported by the science. Um, it, which is uh, pretty terrifying that these studies weren't being published when we're looking at people's lives and people are trying to do, you know, the best thing recommended to them and the opposite is is happening. Um, and, I, you know, to me, it just seems like we shouldn't be picking the the science that that's going out there. We should just be sharing what's there so that everybody is, is in, what, as well informed as possible. Well, I would agree. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's true, but it you know it becomes ultimately a political issue, um, and this is why you know, and I talk about my book. You know, my book is really the story of the the personalities and the players and the science, but really, it's a book about politics. I mean, what happens? You know, I was so naive when I started off this book, thinking, oh. You know, science must march along logically, and then they respond to new observations and study results, and then they change their ideas. And, of course, that's the way science should work. But what I found instead was so much different than that. You know, the, the, it, and it's not just the influence of the food industry, although that is, is really quite significant, um, and, and I talk about that quite a bit in the book, but it's really even more what 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 distorts the politics is... You know, the fact that a certain hypothesis becomes ascendant and then it's really bureaucratized and entrenched and people have these, you know, they, 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 these intellectual conflicts of interest where they really can't change their minds. And if the NIH believes it and that's your major funding source, then you're really not going to do anything that might risk your career. Um, and, and, and again, you know, I have these seemingly unbelievable stories, but people are telling me again and again, you know, I published this paper and then the NIH cut off all my funding. Um, and so, you know, researchers learn to kind of go along with the, with the dominant hypothesis. Um, and I, you know, I have to say this is, this is true today. This is still happening today, which is why we still have nutritional advice that really doesn't even remotely reflect the best and most current science. Um, because, you know, the, the, 
the experts who have kind of captured what I call the nutrition aristocrats, that the, the experts who kind of captured those are always the ones who are assigned to the committees, at the top committees for the guidelines or for the, the American Heart Association who make the decisions about funding and what gets um, and make the decisions about what's the good and the bad science. And, you know, they, they are, they're kind of the old, they're the old guard. And it makes it very hard for the new science to come up and be heard. Well, we're going to talk about this more when we come back. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Nina Teicholz. She's the author of The Big Fat Surprise. We'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions, as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Nina Teicholz. She is the author of The Big Fat Surprise. So, uh, Nina, before the break, you talked about how the the experts who make the decision are kind of like, um, I mean, they're in charge of making these decisions. And then you, you know, you said some funding was taken away from people. I'm just wondering, like, um, I I mean, (laughs) on some level, I'm not surprised because I've done lots of shows and I'm involved in in Lyme disease, which is um, on an even worse level than this. But, um, 
you know, I, I'm always baffled that people, you know, this kind of thing happens when, when, especially when it's about health, when it's about people's lives and, and when we, we have the, the proof there in front of us that maybe we're wrong and then on some level we're just hiding it instead of looking, looking at everything. Right. I, I, I share your sense of disbelief. You know, when, um, you know, I think that, you know, when I was writing this book and seeing how studies were buried and, and people ignoring them or, or actually studies being shut down when they got the wrong results, I'm, I'm talking about NIH studies uh, where they, you know, they did one study called the Delta study there. We're not getting the right results. The low-fat diet was not helping people recover from type 2 diabetes. In fact, just the opposite, and they shut the study down. They just pulled the plug on it. Um, so, and I think that, um, you know, people always ask me why. Well, you know, I think early on the explanation was that there really were these sort of zealot scientists who truly believed what they were doing, and they... Um, you know, people become believers in ideas. We all do. This is what human nature is. We, we come to favor our ideas, and we fail to see evidence that contradicts it. Like, we all do this. This is normal human behavior. But scientists are taught the opposite. Sort of the credo, credo of the scientist is to ruthlessly challenge your own beliefs, to try to disprove them. That is what you are supposed to do as a scientist. And I would say that these scientists did just the opposite. They never challenged themselves. They ignored all the evidence to the contrary, and they only looked for the evidence that supported themselves, and they were believers in an almost religious way. I think the situation today is quite different, um, and, and that is we've had 50 years of this advice, and there are careers that have been built on it, um, institutions that have spent hundreds of millions of dollars invested in trying to um, better American health by by seeing these theories through. We have you know universities devoted to it. The USDA and the entire federal government has thrown their weight behind it. The National Institutes of Health have invested billions of dollars in trying to prove it true. And you know industries have developed you know around it. So from the smallest things like all cattle in America have been bred to be leaner. And the entire, you know, all the industries that grew up around supporting a high-grain, low-fat diet. Um, so it becomes entrenched and bureaucratized and institutionalized. And, um, and, and people's careers depend upon their prestige and their funding, and both of those support just maintaining the status quo. Keep the status quo and fight to try to silence the opposition. And so what you will see now, which is a really, I think the politics are even uglier today than what I have been studying um, in the past, although I might be deceiving myself because I now am actively living this, but, um, you know, attacks on anybody who tries to challenge the status quo science, literally attacks, like trying to take people's medical licenses away. That's been happening in parts of the world. Or disbarring people from the Nutrition Association that happened um, in um, Australia. Uh, there have been vicious attacks on, on me, you know, like she must be motivated only to sell books and she must be in the pocket of industry. You know, trying to, um, and, and I'm saying attacks by like a Yale professor who calls me names, literally calls me names. And it's, it's, it seems 
beneath the dignity of, of, of science, really, to stoop to this level. But the problem is that they cannot respond to the data. The data really powerfully show that this status quo belief is, is, is just not supported by the evidence anymore. Never was, but now has been so strongly contradicted. So if they can't, if they can't respond to the science, they try to uh, go after the, the, the spokespeople for that science. Which, um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not too surprised by, but I'm surprised that it, it's still happening. Um, there's so much information, and I, I think that one of the things that's different now from the 1950s is that we have access to the Internet, which is sometimes not so great because there's a lot of stuff out there that shouldn't be, but it also gives us access to information like what you're sharing um, that we, we know that you know, what we're being told is some, is sometimes wrong and, um, and, and we can easily find what, what's going on and, and make our own decisions with the information that's out there. Right. That's, that, is, that is true. And I think one of the kind of beautiful things about nutrition is that um, you can do your own experiment on your own body. So, yes, the Internet is a crazy wild place that's infiltrated by all kinds of moneyed interests. And, but, you know, if you're going to try to research what the reality is on air pollution, you know, you can't do, you, you'll never be able to probably get to the bottom of it. Um, but on, on nutrition, you can do your own experiment on your own body. You can see, what if I don't follow the guidelines? Or what if I don't do what my, what my doctor tells me? What if I just try this other diet that suggests, that suggests I'll lose weight and feel better on eating more fat and, and lowering my carbohydrates a little bit. You know, people have had, uh, or, or trying a ketogenic diet, which is increasingly, um, it's actually a very low-carb diet, but is in, in gaining a lot of um, interest, um, well, especially among kind of technology elites for performance. People feel like they perform much better. Um, their heads are clearer. They don't get tired in the afternoon. And then you can see your own results. If you don't feel better, then go back to your doctor's advice. Did that work for you? Then stay with that. But I think, you know, we all are our own N equals one experiment, and we can, we can judge for ourselves. And that is quite powerful, I think. Um, and that's why you're seeing this sort of bottom-up um, movement for change, um, because the reality is people are, are actually reversing their diabetes and, and, and sustainably losing hundreds of pounds by not following the guidelines. Um, which shows you, especially if they had been uh, following the guidelines um, it, and it wasn't working for them, which, which as you said, is, is the best um, trial is find out what works for you. Now, um, with the food industry, w- since this is all changing, I mean, we've had years of low-fat, no-fat products. Is, is there any kickback from them as this information is changing? Well, it depends what part of the food industry you're talking about. In general, the food industry, um, they do try to influence nutrition science, no doubt. Uh, there's a lot of funding of researchers, professors by the food industry, and they try to manipulate, do their best to manipulate it in their favor. Um, but um, they also respond to whatever the guidelines tell them to do. So actually, and this is something uh, which will seem astonishing to your listeners, but there is no more low-fat diet recommendation. It's gone. If you go search the American Heart Association website or the government USDA dietary guideline website and you search low-fat, you cannot find it. 
Um, so they don't formally actually recommend a low-fat diet anymore. Um, and I think that, you know, now you're starting to hear even sort of mainstream nutritionists say, you know, diets a little higher in fat are okay. Um, and I think the food industry is probably responding to that. Um, the food industry will, you know, they're, for them, change is good because it means, for the most part, um, because it means they can start new product lines and they can have something new to, to introduce. Um, but obviously, you know, if people start eating more fat, less, fewer carbohydrates, there are certain winners and losers in, in that. There, there will always be winners and losers in the diet wars. But, um, you know, the thing to know about the food industry is, you know, we've seen a lot of, of stuff on the sugar industry. We've seen, you know, there's there's certain... Whatever you see in the news, you should just know that there are always <laughs> every member of the food industry is doing its best to to influence science policy. You know, they're all in there, and there's no one demon. They're they're you know they're all doing their job, which is they're just trying to promote their products. And um, so there's no like one dietary there's no one food industry demon in this story. I don't think. Um, so when when we are talking about food, um, for years we have been told that there are certain things that um, aren't so great for us: red meat, eggs, um, and that kind of thing. Butter, um, and and um, I, I mean, I always, for some reason, even when the low fat was around, I felt that eggs were this um, you know perfect. Um, creation especially because yolk is the best part <laughs> and this is what everybody yeah. was talking about I'm like why would you mess with that but you know for a long time it was egg whites and 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 that and um what what's changing now that that we know um in in people's minds well so the reason we avoided eggs and shellfish and liver um it was due to the cholesterol content um, and now there is no more official recommendation to avoid dietary guidelines, to dietary cholesterol. So that was dropped in 2015 by the U.S. guidelines, and it was dropped by the American Heart Association in 2013. So that's gone. So, um, and that's a good thing, which because, because, and this is sort of a reason, uh, well, it's, it's an explanation for eating eggs, but, but all these foods is that, those foods are incredibly nutrient dense, and um, and where all you know where are all the nutrients in the egg? They're not in the white; they're in the yolk, uh, including like lutein and choline, essential for eye health and brain development in children. And so, like you want to eat the nutrients. Um, many years ago, before we all became uh, obsessed with um, heart disease, obesity, and diabetes, because they were still rare, um, people were ate thought about nutrition more is about getting the nutrients you need for healthy growth and development. And those nutrients are really um, in their most bioavailable form and most dense form in animal foods, right? So um, this is what I, some of the thinking is changing. People, you know, eat eggs because they are full of nutrients and they have protein in them, which is also good for you. You know, what is the most nutrient-dense food on the, on the planet? I mean, don't don't squirm, but it's liver. Liver can, is, you know, there's a reason that grandmothers used to give their kids like cod liver oil to prevent colds because liver has more nutrients per, you know, millimeter than any other food um, uh, on the planet. Um, 
So I think this dietary cholesterol thing is, is we're finally, you know, we should be, we're easing out of that. I think that there's also because the low-fat diet recommendation is gone, people are opening up to the idea that maybe they can eat a little more fat. And and so they eat more olive oil, more more avocados. I mean, the, the, the mainstream thinking is that you still have to eat unsaturated fats. You should have vegetable oils or, or avocados or nuts. Um, but the reality is, um, fats found in you know natural fats in natural foods, those some of which are saturated, are are just as as healthy, if not more healthy. Um, and this is really the central thesis of my book: is looking at the saturated fat issue. Um, why are saturated fats okay for you? Why were they unfairly demonized? They're natural parts of meat, dairy, mainly uh, in animal foods, but also in coconut oil and palm oil are also high in saturated fats. So, and they're just fine for health. The truth is, you know, they've been demonized because they raise your LDL cholesterol, which is your bad cholesterol, a little bit, but... The only food that's known to increase your HDL, which is your good cholesterol, is saturated fats. Um, and they're also good for your um, lung health. And, and moreover, they come in these foods that have a lot of nutrients in them. You know, meat is, is dense in nutrients. So is, is, is cheese and, and milk products. So, you know, we've avoided those foods and we've missed out on those nutrients because of the saturated fat caps. And there's really no reason not to eat those foods. Well, we're going to talk about uh, more about saturated fats when we come back. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Nina Teicholz. She is the author of The Big Fat Surprise. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You probably don't spend too much time talking about that place down there. Why not? There's now a show where that's mostly what we talk about and so much more. It's the Womb Happy Hour with host Lorraine Giordano. It's all about your body and the magical power you possess. Guys, you might want to tune in too. There's no reason to be squeamish. Listen for the Womb Happy Hour, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You 
are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with uh, Nina Teicholz. She is the author of The Big Fat Surprise. So, Nina, um, we talked about how saturated fats are actually okay. And I know, um, so what what balance should people be finding now um, that we know that, I mean, people's diets are changing. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, what, what do I do if I can have eggs? And, and, and after years of not having any of this stuff, um, what should people do? Well, you know, there really is no one-size-fits-all diet, so that's really an important thing to say. There, there, there are people who thrive and feel fine on, you know, diets high in grains and, um, and, and a little lower in fat, but what the literature, um, scientific literature, really shows, and I'm talking about almost 100 randomized controlled clinical trials, including two clinical trials that lasted two years long, which is considered long enough to see if there are any side effects, is that reducing your carbohydrates and increasing fat are um, really a safe and highly effective way if you are suffering from metabolic disease. And that means metabolic ill health is, um, is at the root and it's really, it's, it's, um, it's main symptom is insulin resistance, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's at the root of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, probably Alzheimer's as well. So if you have any of those conditions, even if you're just a little overweight and you want to lose some weight, the best and most sustainable way to do that is to reduce your carbohydrates, um, total carbohydrates, and to increase fat a little bit. And these, I'm talking about the ranges in these experiments are fat anywhere. People start to see benefits if they just increase their fat to 40%. Okay, 40% of calories as fat is what Americans ate in 1965 before the obesity of diabetes and epidemics. Then we were told to reduce our fat down to between 30 and 35%, and we did. We reduced our fat, um, and we were told to increase our carbs. At that point, carbo- in 1965, we ate fewer than 40%, 39% of our calories as carbs, and then we've been told over the last 40, 50 years to eat more than 50% of our calories as carbs. And, you know, what, how has the American health um, been doing since then? Not very well. Mm-hmm. So no. <laughs> what the science shows is that restricting carbohydrates is down to, um, so down to 40% of calories or, or anywhere down to, you know, even as low as 10% of calories, you are either, you don't have any fundamental need for those carbohydrates. If you, whatever glucose that your body needs to function, you can produce, uh, your body can produce it through the protein that it eats. Um, so, so those diets are, you know, are, are shown to help people. There's um, an experiment going on for more than 400 diabetics um, right now where they've been able to, the majority of them after a year have successfully eliminated any diagnosis of diabetes. Um, by going on a very low carbohydrate diet, and um, 
which is, you know, not supposed to be a thing. You're not supposed to be able to reverse diabetes. It's supposed to be a chronic progressive disease, but here they are reversing diabetes and, and people are losing sustainably large amounts of weight. And why do I say sustainably? Because calorie restriction, which is the way we've been told to, to lose weight, um, makes you hungry and, and depresses your metabolism. And one of the super depressing things about that kind of weight loss is your metabolism goes down and stays down so that when you are done dieting, you can, um, and being hungry all that time, and you, you know, people can't sustain hunger forever. So, you know, after usually about after six months, they just go back to eating a little more. And at that point, their body tolerates even fewer calories and they gain even more weight back. That is a typical seesaw of dieting. The reason that a higher fat diet works is that people are not hungry on it. Fat and protein are uniquely satiating. You know, they've done experiments where they put stacks of meat in front of people and say, you know, you must eat all of them. (laughs) And people (laughs) just simply cannot overeat on meat or, you know, fat and protein, whereas we all know how easy it is to overeat on carbohydrates. You know, cookies, crackers, popcorn, every single one of us has had the experience of just making their way through an entire bag of cookies without looking back. So that, and that has been demonstrated scientifically too. So these diets that are higher in fat, and I'm saying higher in fat, not higher in protein. Protein remains moderate. Um, they are more satiating. People don't get hungry. It doesn't reduce your metabolism, and you can keep on with it for as long as you like. I mean, I've been on a basically a low-carb diet for years now, um, and I'm, I'm 20 pounds lighter than I was when I was in college, young woman, supposedly good metabolism, running five, six miles every day, um, and I was overweight. Um, and I was a vegetarian for nearly 30 years, also overweight through that entire period of my life, sadly. But um, so this, that's what the science shows. In terms of the limit, uh, there really is not um, a limit on, you know, you have to get adequate protein for your body, and then there really isn't a limit on how much fat that you can healthfully eat. And there's no limit on saturated fat that we know, um, sat- you know, you naturally limit it. Sat- you don't, nobody eats like, I don't know, just sit there and eat jars of coconut butter. That would be a lot of saturated fat or sticks of butter. I mean, most people have their fats in foods. Foods have a mixture of fats. Your typical T-bone steak is, you know, a third of that is the same kind of fat that's in olive oil. And then another third is saturated fat. And, you know, I mean, foods are a mixture of these fats. Um, if you eat a diet of whole foods, um, you'll get a mixture of fats. And um, in the scientific experiments that were done, controlled clinical trials, the healthier groups um, that they looked at, the, uh, they, they ate as much as 19% of calories as saturated fats with no ill effect. So that's what we know scientifically. So, um, and they're really, sorry, can I say one more thing? Yep, you bet. <laughs> There's Go really no reason to avoid eating meat. The reason that we stopped eating meat as a, you know, as a country is that it was based on the saturated fat content. So, you know, we now have ample evidence that saturated fat has zero effect on cardiovascular total mortality. I mean, this are, I'm talking about trials on more than 50,000 people establishing this result. Um, so there's no reason not to eat meat. The evidence against it now, this kind of constant drumbeat that we hear about meat causing cancer and this and that, all of that comes from weak epidemiological evidence that shows association but not causation. And those associations that they find are very weak. So there's a kind of a, it's a little bit of a kind of activist, 
um, driven agenda against meat for many reasons, but the, but the science against meat is, is weak, um, is very weak. Well, and, and that's one of the things that we've been told, I mean, especially red meat that, um, you know, it's terrible for us and people really limit it, um, except where I live, because I live in Alberta, Canada, and we're, we're, all, we're all about our beef here. But, but you know, it, it's, um, it, it has been something over time. But then, you know, if you're not eating red meat, you're not getting any B12 in your diet. And there's actually been some repercussions for some of these limitations that we've put on things. And, and I think what comes out of this is that we need a balance of everything and not too much of anything. Um, you know, it, it's um, especially when, when we look at carbohydrates, that's been, um, I, I think Atkins was the first one to, to talk about carbohydrates and he was definitely um, demonized for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to cut people back on their carbs and, and, but people were seeing the changes. And like you said earlier, that is the biggest test is how your body responds to, to what's happening. Absolutely. You know, and you know, the Dr. Atkins, you know, in his day in the early 1970s, when he came out with his book, um, his first book, there really was no science to support his theory. There was very little science behind it. Um, and I'm talking about rigorous trials. And he would say, but look, you know, I have my all my drawer full of medical files. And, and people would say, well, that's not hard science. And they were right to say that. Um, but in the last 15 years, um, the Atkins ideas have kind of resurfaced and, they, and they've been tested in these clinical trials that I'm talking, you know, the nearly 100 clinical trials on, on thousands of people. And they, um, and so they've established that diet as effective and safe. Um, so, you know, a balanced diet is, a balanced diet is kind of a, re- a relative term, right? What is balanced for us is sort of a product of our current thinking and our current time. You know, I, I can tell you that in my, gra- our grandparents' generation, even Ansel Keys, uh, you know, his idea of moderation was meat, red meat for dinner only three nights a week. <laughs> <laughs> that was his idea of cutting back on red meat. So, you know, our, our thinking has changed so much. Um, now we think, you know, I know lots of people who are like, well, maybe once a month I can have it, and that's to them a balanced diet. But um, so it's kind of a relative term. But, you know, sliding up and down with fat and carbohydrates is something for individual experimentation and, and, and just knowing that, you know, it's safe. It's safe to slide down with carbohydrates, if, especially if you're somebody who is struggling with obesity, diabetes, heart disease. It's, you know, it's, it's worth experimenting with that. Um, and, and, then, and then you have to go and read my book just because you have to understand you're going to get, you know, there's scary questions that I can't go into in great detail, you know, about cholesterol and LDL and HDL and, and you know, why it's okay, why it's okay uh, to, to have a higher fat diet. So if somebody was to um, bring their cholesterol down to be um, under the limit, which is what happens to some people, especially if they're on medication, does that have any effect to their health at all? Um, you know, cholesterol is a complex story. So, you know, total cholesterol, which was the original um, dietary kind of the original demon, um, really has turned out to be relatively meaningless in terms of being able to predict cardiovascular risk, except for people who have very, very high total cholesterol. And they have this, there's like 1% to 2% of people have something called familial 
um, hypercholesterolemia, and that's a genetic condition that's just different um, than the normal population. So total cholesterol should is just not really worth paying attention to. HDL cholesterol, your good cholesterol, that is that the ratio of that cholesterol over triglycerides is, uh, according to the science, I think the most reliable indicator of the most re- reliable commonly tested indicator of your cardiovascular risk. LDL cholesterol, which is sort of the one that everybody has focused on for a long time, but is is increasingly being questioned and, you know, is not even part of the the, the, the latest calculator of, of our heart association um, because it's very unreliable and it really varies widely um, from test to test. So, and it's not even something that they test. They, they calculate it from your HDL and there's a lot of uh, there's just a lot of unreliability in that LDL number. Um, so what happens if you reduce carbs and, and increase fat is your HDL will go up. That's your good cholesterol going up. Your triglycerides go down. That's good. Both those things moving in the right direction, and your overall cardiovascular risk should is improving. So the, key, the, the scary thing is that for some people, their LDL goes up too, which is their bad cholesterol. But, you know, that is... Um, if that's you, you have to understand that that is it's it's far more complex than we've come to understand. And you should read somebody named Dave Feldman, <laughs> who's able to who, who who has proven that you know uh, how you manipulate your LDL numbers by changing your diet and that it and why it's so unreliable. Um, which sounds um, really complicated when we're we're basing so much on on that reading um, and yeah. a lot of. You know, and there's so many people on uh, statin drugs to reduce their cholesterol, um, and and sometimes when it's not even that high, and then their doctor will never let them come off of it, and they're on right. this medication, when when you know it, it may, you know they may not necessarily need it, or they can control it with a, a better informed diet. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna dip my <laughs> too far into the statin wars um, but there's there is a kind of a healthy group of critics who really believe that statins what we do know is that the statin data has never really been released for independent evaluation so we don't know if the side effects which are considerable um, in terms of loss of muscle strength and you know are worse than the the potential benefits of statins. So uh, that's a complicated subject. Uh, It's also not truly known if they work by lowering your LDL or if they work through some other effect that they have on you. Um, Those are called the pleiotropic effects that what they find is that, um, well, let me just say this. Lowering, whether or not it works to prevent a heart attack by lowering your LDL with a statin is totally unrelated to lowering your LDL through diet. There has n- there have been many diet experiments where people have successfully lowered their LDL through diet and that tracks not at all with their ultimate cardiovascular risk. So there's something different about lowering it with statins versus diet and there is no relationship between the two. Doing it with diet has not never been shown to be effective. Um, so when we're also when we're talking about um, diet, we've talked about carbohydrates. Does sugar play a role in in any of this? 
Well, sugar is a carbohydrate, right? Carbohydrate foods are sugar and starch, sugar and starchy foods. So there's sugar, mm-hmm. high fructose corn syrup. Then there's all the grains, um, which and starches like potatoes and other root vegetables, um, even carrots. Like when you eat them, those starches immediately turn into glucose in your blood. So your body understands that is those foods as glucose. And um, there is some science. Um, but not a lot to show that refined carbohydrates and sugar um, might be worse for your health because they get digested more rapidly. But I would say that science is still pretty much in its infancy state. There just isn't that much of it out there yet. And that where the science is really strong and, and, and a large body of science exists is just showing that when you reduce total carbohydrates, you see these beneficial health results. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll learn more about what different kind of carbohydrates do to your body. But I, I just think at this point, the science is really not quite there yet. Okay. Well, it sounds like we, we know more and the information is getting out there, especially with books like yours. Um, and there are a lot of uh, diets now that are supporting this, uh, you know, paleo and ketone diets and stuff that are helping people to find this balance for themselves. Yeah. Well, there is. I mean, we had there are there are now high higher fat diet books out by uh, you know, Harvard Medical School doctor David Ludwig, Mark Hyman of the Cleveland Cleveland Clinic, uh, you know, immediate past president of the World Heart Federation has come out with results showing that higher fat diets lead to longer life. Higher fat diets including saturated fat lead to longer life and that high carbohydrate diets are associated with the the lowest um, and worst health outcomes. So, you know, there's there are quite a number of experts now who are really um, at, at, at prestigious institutions who are coming out and saying, "Look, we just got it wrong on on fat and carbs, and we we need to get it right." Um, I, have to, I also have to say that the Lancet, which is the top uh, one of the top medical journals in the world, just uh, about a month ago came out with a full page review of my book three three years after it's published, <laughs> saying. This book is going to make you angry, but um, she's right. We checked her references. We've looked at the work, and 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 this book is is on the right side of science. So, so that's tremendously heartening for me. But I but I think even more so for the field. To you know, I think we're we're at a kind of tipping point where experts are starting to seriously reevaluate the science and and starting to move away from from what we've been doing for the last fifty years. Well, that, you know, that, that's great. I think that's a, a good way to end the show to know that things are changing. Um, now, is there any way that people can get a hold of you or your book if they want more information? Yes. I mean, my book is on Amazon um, and Barnes & Noble, so you can get it online. And um, my website is ninateichels.com. And um, my last name is spelled T-E-I-C-H-O-L-Z. But you can just look up Nina and the Big Fat Surprise and you'll find it. And I'm also pretty active on Facebook and Twitter, which is I go by the Big Fat Surprise handle. So, um, yeah, so I'm there. Well, super. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on the show. It's really been a pleasure. Awesome. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. And just be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive 
Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.